All right, good morning. Uh, Ernesto is confused because there's a piñata hanging in the, in the service. He's like, the, the kids are leaving? Uh, what about the piñata? Well, <laughs> we'll get to the piñata, I promise. And the piñata is, is not, although you could think it was in direct response to, the women's gathering. It, for the men, if you guys don't know, the women gathered yesterday. <clears throat> and when the women gather, they put us to shame. Right? They, they coordinate, they, they, it's, they decorate, they do all, it's a beautiful thing. All right? They don't just get together with their eyes half open and eat a lot of bacon like we do. Okay? But I know the women had a great time yesterday, and I was very encouraged from what I heard um, and what was shared uh, in the fellowship that they had. And again, they are better at celebrating and better at decorating, so I brought a little bit of uh, festivity to the service, all right? But we'll get to that in a minute. But let me just pray quickly uh, that the Lord would be with us and that uh, He would give me words to speak. Father, please, Lord, we are dependent on You uh, for Your Spirit to move in us, for Your Spirit to give us understanding. Uh, Lord, I pray that You would do that this morning. Lord, that You would just remove myself, that You would remove uh, Lexa, Father, and Your Word would go forth. Lord, I pray that we would be receptive to hear it, and Lord, that more than just hearing, that we'd also, also become doers of your word, Father. Lord, please just change us this morning, Lord. Please but let us be overwhelmed by your gospel. Lord, give us a new understanding, Lord, and help us as we go through this to orient ourselves to your gospel, Father. Lord, do what only you can do, Lord, and I pray that you are glorified, that you are lifted up through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start briefly with a review of the review. All right, sounds exciting. But we're in a letter. We're not in a historical narrative like we've been in Nehemiah. We're in a letter. And it's a letter, as you read through the epistles, which most of the New Testament after the gospel are these epistles, these letters that were written. And they're situational, okay? But what that means is they were written by a specific individual to a specific audience at a specific time around a specific situation. There was a reason for it. It's like we're opening up and we're looking at someone else's mail. We're looking at someone else's letter. And so I just want us to, again, reorient ourselves to this and understand that this is Paul writing. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter and he's probably writing this letter from prison in Rome. Okay, this is at the end of his ministry. It's after his third missionary journey. And he's in prison, in Rome, awaiting to go before trial, to go on trial. And probably at this time is when he wrote Colossians, is when he wrote Ephesians, when he wrote Philippians, and when he wrote Philemon. Okay? He wrote those letters probably at this time. But this specific letter of Colossians, he's writing to the church in Colossae. And this was a church that he did not plant, and a church that at this point he had not visited. He didn't know these people. But Epaphras had come to him and had told him about this church in Colossae. And Epaphras was somebody that most likely had come to know the Lord, had responded to the gospel, and was following Christ through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And he had gone back to his hometown of Colossae and had shared the gospel and the church had been planted. And this is a result of that. They were a small church. And that day, what was an unimportant city. They were off all the routes. It wasn't a major trading route. They weren't important. 
in the world's eyes. But Paul takes the time and he writes this letter. And the purpose of this letter is probably because he heard from Epaphras and there was concerns. He wanted to address those concerns that he heard from Epaphras. And the concerns most likely are that they were either considering or they were in danger of turning from Christ. That they were either going to add to the gospel, they were going to add to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, they were going to subtract from it, or they were going to turn to something else. And so Paul writes this letter to address that. He writes this letter to address and to communicate to them that all you need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is supreme and the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient. That's all that you need. And so that's the purpose behind this letter. But as we talk about it, the gospel is center in this letter. The gospel is what this letter is written about. And I don't want to move forward without a context of the gospel. We can throw that word around and I think we would probably have all a little bit different perspective of what the gospel is as we defined it or as we described it. So particularly I want to give you um, the historical context at that time because we need to understand how would they have received it. How would they have understood this word gospel. And simply put, it's a message. Okay, It has to be proclaimed. It's a message that they would have heard. It's good news, literally. But in their context of this time, this was not originally a Christian word. This wasn't originally a biblical word. It was actually a word that was used in regard to the Roman Empire, in regard to the emperor. It was to announce the reign, and it was announced the rule of Caesar, who was over this entire region, who was over this entire empire, and as he came, so came this gospel of Caesar, this good news of Caesar. It was about his rule, and we see that in Luke 2 when we see Augustus Caesar. He was referred to, and we see that in Luke 2, and he was even thought of to be divine. He was thought of to be the savior of these people. His rule and his reign, as they were presented, again, uses that Greek word, evangelion, the same word we use for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came, this good news was communicating his freedom, the justice, the peace, the salvation of Caesar. Caesar was going to save the people. With him was going to come this new reign. And so it was the gospel of Caesar. And so if you are a Roman citizen, then your entire life should revolve around, be oriented to this gospel of Caesar. That's the historical context. Now from a biblical context, as Paul is speaking to them and he's talking about this gospel, you're not, just, you're not part of this Roman empire, you're not the gospel of Caesar. He says, but I want you to understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So he took what was a, a secular term, a Roman term, and he changed it and he transformed it. He says, we are going to be about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. No longer is Caesar our king, is Caesar the one that's going to bring this salvation. But Jesus is. So this term was used to pronounce and to proclaim this rule of Jesus Christ, the reign of Jesus Christ. He was going to be the one that would bring freedom and justice and peace and salvation. It would actually come through the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of Caesar. But much like if you were a Roman citizen, your entire life should revolve around this gospel. If you're part of the kingdom of heaven, if you're a citizen of heaven, then your life should revolve around this gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we oriented around the gospel of Jesus Christ? And sometimes I think it's hard to understand if we're oriented around something because many times we don't know that we're disoriented. 
We don't even know sometimes what it looks like to be oriented to the gospel. So let me talk about being disoriented. Two weeks ago, on Monday, I've been here for over three years, but that was my first earthquake. So, it is 6.15, the alarm goes off, and like many of you, I don't get right up. And I reach over, and I hit my phone, and I turn it off, and I'm laying there in bed, and I can hear that Karina's up, and she's showering. She's getting ready for school. Nobody else is up. Nidia's beside me. And I'm in that, that place between my snooze and between my waking up, you know, that, that place in between. And all of a sudden, the bed starts to shake. The windows start to rattle. I hear this noise. And I just sat up in bed. And I, Whoa, where am I? What's going on? And Nidia and I just both sort of like, I looked at each other and like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> was completely disoriented. I don't know what is going on. Like the world is moving. The bed is shaking. The windows are... Mo- and then it's like, oh, it's an earthquake, it's an earthquake. And then it's like, hey, kids, everybody wake up, get up, get up. And we, and we move them all into the den, we go to the den, and we're, we're all huddled, and by the time it's over, we're all huddled on our day bed in the den, and we're just sitting there like, is everybody okay? Is everybody all right? And we're just kind of shaking, and I just can't calm down, and my heart is going, and I'm like, I was completely disoriented. And you guys think that's funny if you're from California. <laughs> Because as I talk to people, they're like, oh, I slept through it. Or, oh, give it a couple times. And after you feel a couple earthquakes, it won't even, you won't even recognize it. You won't even notice it. You won't be disoriented anymore. It's just life. It's just normal. So you guys don't even get my illustration. So I want to show you what it looks like to be disoriented. So Haiti's got to get rid of a baby, and she's going to come up. Because... And then Sergio, can you get the other end of the rope? And Haiti is not Mexican. All right, she is Salvadorian. Okay. Just to clarify that, because you guys are going to see this piñata, you're going to think Mexican. No, no, no. All right. But she is a Latina autentica. Okay. And then I've got another Latino autentico holding the rope. Okay. This is as realistic as possible. All right. But when we have a piñata. We get disoriented. That's the whole purpose. Okay? It's to whoever is going to try and hit the piñata that you want to disorient them. So the first thing that we do is we blind them. Alright? Can you see? That worked? Okay, she can't see. All right. Now what's next? Spin her around. Right? She can't see. Now we're gonna disorient her more. Okay? I mean, we're really gonna disorient her. Keep spinning. Keep spinning. Just where you're not gonna fall. All right. And now Sergio, we're gonna walk her around here. No, just trust me. All right. Sergio's gonna start swinging the piñata, and she doesn't know where she's at. She can't see. She's dizzy. Make it swing. Alright? And then we're going to give her a bat. <laughs> and we're going to point her in the right direction, the general direction. But then her job is to hold the bat. And she's going to swing the piñata. You guys watch out. And, and see... 
<laughs> no, wait, wait. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, stop. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> wait. You're going to pull that down. You get that off? All right, I'm through with you. So Haiti just showed us what it looks like to be completely disoriented. All right? She was over here swinging back this way. It was over there. She had no idea what she was doing. She knew what she was trying to do, but she had no idea where she was at. She couldn't see. She was off balance. The piñata swinging. She has no idea where she's at. She's completely disoriented. Thank you. You're going to get to come back later, okay? Now I want you guys to think about she knew her purpose. Her purpose was to hit the piñata, to break the piñata open. There was a, a hope, there was a prize for her in the piñata, waiting for her. But she's swinging around aimlessly, she's completely disoriented. And my question is, is that what we look like sometimes as we pursue the gospel, as we try and proclaim the gospel, as we try and live out the gospel? If we're disoriented and we're just trying to do what we know we're supposed to do, but we're completely disoriented, we're just around the park swinging at our neighbors with truth, swinging at our neighbors with the word, it can get dangerous, right? And, and we're not very efficient, it's not very effective because we're so disoriented. And you guys know with the party, all the kids are around and as soon as it, it gets hit a couple times and the kids run over, it's just a mess. And I'm just like, is that what we look like? Is that what we look like trying to proclaim and trying to demonstrate the gospel? if we're not oriented to the gospel, if we're disoriented. And so I want us to read this passage with that in mind. And I want us to ask ourselves, are we oriented completely to the gospel? I'll read it first in English, and then Lexa in Spanish, verse 1 through verse 8. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So as we listen to that passage, as we read that, I would tell you that, that Paul's heart, the center of what he's talking about is the gospel. And you can even see that grammatically as you look at the passage, at the very center of the passage, in verse 5 is the gospel. He gets down to this gospel. And everything in the passage is either pointing to or pointing back to the gospel. If you look at it, there are all these prepositions that are used in the passage. Just through, in, by, with, of Christ, of the gospel. Everything is pointing back to it. And a preposition is a word that relates something to everything else in the sentence. So it takes this object or this noun and it relates everything else in the sentence to that noun. And you see that here, there are preposition after preposition because everything in this passage, and I would tell you everything in this book is related back to the gospel. As I said before, the gospel is supreme. And that's what we see here. And so our job is to realize that. 
and to say, are we oriented to the gospel? And what would it look like for us to be completely oriented to the gospel? And I will tell you that it would look like we would live in the gospel, we would learn from the gospel, and then we would love through the gospel. Okay, if we were completely oriented to the gospel, those three things would happen. We would live in the gospel, we would learn from the gospel, and then we would love through the gospel. So first, all right, live in the gospel. If you look at verse 1 and verse 2, the end of verse 3, and then also out to verse 7, you would see that they define all of their relationships with God and with each other through the gospel. Everything that they talk about, about who they are and who they are with each other, is defined through the gospel. Look at verse 1, you see Paul. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. He defines himself by who he is in Christ and what God is doing in him. Then you look at the church in Colossae in verse 2. He says, to the saints and faithful brothers. They're part of this family of Christ. It says, in Christ. They're brothers in Christ. And then this grace that's come to them, it's from where? It's from God our Father. Everything about them is describing them in relation to the gospel. Epaphras is the same way. Look down at the end of verse 7. It says, Epaphras, he is a faithful minister of Christ. They define themselves. Every mention of an individual here shows their relationship to the gospel, to Jesus Christ, what God is doing. That's how they identified who they are. And I know I've heard and in, culture, in our culture, like, well, it's not really important who you are. It's more important what you do. And sometimes you might even misunderstand that in the church. Well, it's not as important. It's what we do, what we do. No, it starts with who we are. And we have to realize who we are before we do anything. And so I want us to think about who we are. Who we are in Christ. And I want to give you guys an illustration. Karina, go ahead and pull that up. Karina's like, why are we going to watch Gladiator in church? We can't watch that at home. <laughs> All right. We're going to watch a brief, brief snippet of Gladiator. All right. And you guys just have to go with me because these are the things that fire me up. All right. But in this story, Gladiator was the general. He was over the entire army of Caesar. But it was Marcus Aurelius, the Caesar that had been killed, actually been killed by his son. And so now his son is in rule. But I want you to realize Maximus knows who he is. Right? He identifies who he is. And so I want you to watch this. He's just finished this uh, battle. This, the gladiators have been fighting and they've won. They weren't supposed to win. And Caesar, the son who's killed the previous Caesar, now comes down and wants to meet this gladiator. He doesn't know who he is. Alright? We're going to watch it from there. Commodus, the, the Caesar, he had, he had watched this event. He had watched them fight. He knew what Gladiator could do. He had seen him. He, it had been demonstrated before him. But he's like, but I want to know who you are. What is your name? Don't you have a name? I want to know who you are. I've seen what you can do, but who are you? And so I want you guys to stand up. Everybody rise. Rise. <laughs> So what we're going to do is you're going to say, my name is, and then you say your name. Nobody be funny. Say your name, okay? 
Say, my name is, and then what I want you to do is say the first thing that comes to your mind that describes you. Your first description of yourself. And not, not the church answer, not the Sunday school answer, but what actually just first came to your mind. You said, oh gosh, I've got to think of something else before I say that. Okay? So all together, we're going to say, my name is, you say your name, and then you describe yourself. All right? My name is Britt. I am... I sort of died off there at the end. All right, keep standing. What did you guys say? What was your description? Or more so, what was the description that came to your mind? Was it your family? Was it your job? Was it your education? Was it your ethnicity? Was it your nationality? Was it if you speak Spanish or English? Was it your class? Was it your good works? Was it your Bible knowledge? Was it your doctrinal stances and your preference for worship? Was it what was it that you thought about? This like this is a thing that defines me. This is a thing that I'm first about because it needs to be. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That needs to be what comes to our mind. My identity is found in Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so think about what you thought about and ask yourself why is it that I thought about that thing. What is it that's competing with the supremacy of Christ in my life? Because you need to identify, you need to live in the gospel. Now that's for you individually. Now keep standing. What about us as a body? What about us collectively? Okay? We are living stones. And now think of a descriptor. You guys got it? We're going to say it together. We're going to do this together. Say we are living stones and then you say we are and describe us. We are living stones. We are... So what did you say? What was our first identity as a church? Was it our size? Was it our location? Was it the way we do Sunday service and we have piñatas in the worship center? We don't really have a worship center. What was it that came to your mind that you thought of first? Was it our philosophy of ministry? Was it the preaching? I hope not. What was it that was first? Because it needs to be, we are followers of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's who I am. That's who we are. That is our primary identity. That is what we need to think of first. So you guys go ahead and sit down. We must define ourselves in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Some of those other things, those other things that I mentioned, those are not bad things, those are not, they're good things. But Christ has to be first. He has to be supreme in our identity. And that we would define ourselves only around the person and the work of Jesus Christ and what He has done. That's it. That's all that we need. That's how we define ourselves. And we do that as a church. You guys see as part of our mission statement, the idea that we are... We do all that, our mission, we carry out our mission by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Right? We proclaim Jesus Christ, the supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ, and we do that by being followers of Jesus Christ. It all focuses on Him. When you think about our vision, it's not that we're multi-ethnic, multi-class, and multilingual. It says that we are first, we're reconciled. We're reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, and we're reconciled with each other through Jesus Christ. And then we're... All these other things are not de- definite. They're, they're defining a multitude of things. But then at the end, we're a gospel-centered community. We're centered around the gospel. We identify ourselves in Jesus Christ. That's our vision. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to proclaim. That's what we want to demonstrate. Is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone.
So the first step to be gospel-oriented is to live in the gospel, to find your identity in the gospel. But how do we get that knowledge? How do we get that wisdom? How do we actually come to identify ourselves in the gospel? Because I would tell you that you can't orient yourself around the gospel. God has to orient you to the gospel. And God actually came, and He became a man, and He lived amongst us, and Jesus Christ came, and He says, I am God, and I am making Him fully known. God came and pursued us. He came to give us all wisdom and all knowledge so that we can learn from the gospel. So we live in the gospel, but we also learn from the gospel. And we'll see that Paul talks about later in chapter 2, it says that all wisdom, all understanding, all knowledge comes from Jesus Christ. And he's, he doesn't say that here, but he's thinking that as you read through the passage, you can understand that. The gospel, as I said, is the center of this passage. Look at verse 5. It's talking about the gospel. It says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. The gospel is the center of this passage. The gospel is what they were to learn from. Everything else from verse 4 to verse 8 points back to the gospel. It's the source of their understanding. It's the source of their wisdom. It informs them and it instructs them. They're underneath the gospel. It's moving in their lives. It's instructing how they should live. It's instructing how they should think. But if we're not gospel-oriented, we tend to sit over the gospel and we make the gospel fit what we want it to fit. We make it its purpose what we want it to be. And we tend to, to think our perspective on the gospel. Instead of being under the gospel, we kind of sit over the gospel. And that's just silly. It just shows our disorientation. And we see this throughout Scripture. If you look at Isaiah 29, it's a clear example. He says, you turn things upside down. Literally, it means you pervert things. The gospel is supreme. You are under the gospel, but you're turning the tables. You're, you're perverting the relationship. He says, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker he did not make me or the thing formed say of him who formed it he has no understanding but that's what we do we, we receive the gospel and then we start to sometimes live over the gospel and be like no I'll figure my life out I don't have to go back to the gospel I can do this on my own I can, I've got wisdom I've got knowledge instead of saying no all of my learning all of my wisdom all of my knowledge has to come from the gospel and so I'm asking you now do you ever think that? Or do you realize that God has pursued you? That God has given you the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding of His gospel, and that now you are under that gospel, and that is a good place to be, because the gospel is supreme. And do you live your life that way? Or do you believe sometimes, well, I really don't need the gospel. I'll find understanding somewhere else. Do you look for understanding in your own experience? Look for understanding from the world, from magazines, from the news? Do you look for understanding from what other people are telling you? Or do we look for understanding ultimately from the gospel? Is that what drives us? Is that what builds our perspective? Is that what we learn from? Because if it's not, we don't believe. We don't believe that all wisdom and all understanding comes from Jesus Christ. So just as we didn't receive it on our own, we didn't seek it on our own. 
If you look at verse 6, it says, Which has come to you? This gospel that came to you. You didn't come to the gospel. You didn't go to the gospel. The gospel, Jesus Christ came to you. He came to us. He came to them. God sent Jesus to make Himself known. Jesus Christ, God Himself, left heaven and came to earth and walked amongst us so that God could be made known. And I remember a couple weeks ago talking to Guillermo and I was asking him, so where are you? So where are you with following Christ? What do you think about Jesus? And he's, as he described it, he goes over and over. He's like, well, I just feel like I've, I've got to improve some things in my life. I've got to change some things in my life. And then I can get to this point where then I can, then I can follow Christ or I can be with Christ. And I was like, you feel like Christ is up here and you're down here? He's like, yeah. And I said, and there are these stairs getting to Christ. He's like, and you've tried and you've tried, but you can't even get over the first step. It's like, yeah. I said, you don't have to climb the stairs. Right? Jesus Christ has come all the way down to be with you. He's come all the way down to save you. You don't have to work your way up to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came down and humbled himself and came for us. He's like, I've never heard anyone say that. But this is the difference between the gospel and religion. Every other faith, every other religion is working our way towards God. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, He came to us. And that's the difference. But we believe that when we start our faith. We believe that when we start our salvation. But I don't think that we continue to believe that. We don't believe that for our salvation to continue, for us to be sanctified, for us to grow in Christ. We believe that to start, but we don't believe it to continue. For me, this makes me think of rehab. All right, You guys know I'm a therapist. I work at the hospital. And so I'm thinking about the different types of therapy, the different types of intervention that we provide for a patient. And when a patient is in the hospital, the therapist has to go to the room. They have to go bedside and actually go to and get the patient out of bed because the patient is so debilitated, so sick, so complex that you have to be right there. You have to go to them. They can't come out and meet you. You're not going to meet them at a gym. You have to go to them. That's in the hospital. That's acute care. But then what happens is after the patient discharges and they go back home and they get a little more independent, then they schedule outpatient appointments. And I'm going to come see you as an outpatient because I'm doing better. I'm not so debilitated, but there's some, still some things that I need to work on. But I'm going to schedule you two or three times a week. I'll come to you. You wait for me. And we'll work on the things that I want to work on. We'll fine-tune what's wrong with me. We'll, find, we'll work a little bit on my, my independence so I can get better. I can be more functional. And is that what we do with Christ? We set up outpatient appointments. You came to me. You saved me. I was in ICU and you got me out of ICU. But now I'm an outpatient. Now I can just come see you on my schedule. I can set the appointments and we're going to talk about and work on the things that I want to talk about and the things that I want to work on. This is my life. And I'll use you to help me and I, you'll, you'll grow me. And I want to give you honor. I want to acknowledge you. But it's on my schedule. And sometimes I don't show up for the appointments. You know? What's our no-show rate for these appointments that we have with Christ? I'm asking you. How many times do you set up these appointments to meet with Christ and then you don't show up? 
Do you come to him saying, I am completely dependent. I have to completely learn from you. I am dependent on you to show me wisdom and knowledge. Or do you come and say, let's work on what I want to work on. And I would tell you that we are impatient and you will be an impatient for the rest of your life. Okay, you don't get to set the appointments. You don't get to set the agenda. Jesus Christ continues to come to us. And he continues to pick us up. And he continues to carry us up. He continues to process us through the salvation that he's given us. And that one day it'll be complete. One day it'll be finished. But we have to depend on him, not just to start the process, but to continue in the process. And as we go in that process, realize that we learn from people. This gospel message now that Jesus Christ has returned to heaven and he's given his Holy Spirit. The message is communicated through people and through relationships. You're going to ask, well, wait, 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 what are you saying? I'm saying, no, we communicate Jesus Christ, we proclaim Jesus Christ, we demonstrate Jesus Christ through relationships. You can talk about Jesus all you want, but if you're not in a relationship, if you're not interacting with another person, what good is that? Okay? The only way that the message goes forward is for us to engage and for us to have relationships. That's the only way that Jesus Christ is made known. And this is how Jesus sent us out. If you look at John 20, verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them again, to His disciples, He says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I'm sending you to make me known. I'm sending you to proclaim me. I'm sending you to demonstrate me. I'm sending you, and as you look in verse 7 of this passage in Colossians, it says, just as you, talking about the church, just as you learned it from Epaphras. Epaphras had gone, and he had proclaimed, and he had demonstrated this gospel. It literally says that he, he, they had learned it from him. And that idea of learned, it's not that he just went and spoke it to him. He spoke it to them. He proclaimed it to them. It's not just that he wrote it down for them. But he went and he walked with them and he actually showed them what it looks like for the gospel to change your life. What it looks like to proclaim it. What it looks like to demonstrate it. They walked together in that. Hand in hand. It literally means that they would practice this together. They had learned this gospel from Epaphras. He had to be involved in their lives and have a relationship with them in order for them to learn. And so Emmanuel calls me on Thursday, Wednesday, on my way home. He says, Britt, I just had this education at work. Okay, I've got to tell you about all these cool things and the way that you learn. And that this lady that instructed us and she taught us these are the best ways to learn. And I'm so excited as Emmanuel's telling me because I had been processing through this very illustration. I'm like, okay, now I have a way to connect it. And he's like, you have to learn. It's not just through what somebody says. You can just stand up there and say something, but it needs to be, it needs to be written. You know, we, we need to hear it with our ears. We need to see it with our eyes. And he's like, and then there can be demonstration. And people are going to learn more if, you're dem- if you demonstrate it. He's like, and then there's, and this is the cool word, he says, there's kinetic learning. All right, that's when you actually get to move and participate and try it out yourself. And that is the type of learning that was going on here in Colossae. That's what they learned this gospel in all those ways. They heard it, they read it, they studied it. They felt it. They lived it out in their lives. He walked with them in that way where they could completely learn it. You guys remember when I stood up here and made biscuits? I taught you guys to make biscuits. Homemade buttermilk biscuits. Right? Could anybody tell me all the ingredients, all the steps, everything you need to do to go through it? You might shake your heads, but you got up here. I don't think your biscuits would be as good as my biscuits. All right? 
Because you need to actually, you might have the knowledge, you might know the recipe, but you need to actually come up and participate with me and put your hands in the dough and see what the dough feels like and see what the biscuits feel like when they're perfect and when you know what they're going to look like when they come out of the oven and they're perfect and golden brown. Like you wouldn't fully know it until you actually participated in it. So are we learning the gospel? They had learned this gospel from Epaphras. Are we learning the gospel? Are you reading about the gospel? Are you listening about the gospel? Are you watching the gospel be demonstrated? Are you demonstrating the gospel? Are you actively involved in experiencing it? Are you sharing the gospel? Fully learn it. We have to do all these things. We can't just know it in our heads. We can't just read about it. We can't just set aside 30 minutes each night and I read my Bible, so therefore I know the gospel. That doesn't work. It it doesn't happen that way. That's a part of it. I can't just listen to sermons. I can't just come on Sunday morning. That's a part of it. But we also have to participate in it. We have to share it. We have to let it change every part of our life because it's supreme. That's how we learn the gospel. And so again, are we learning the gospel or do we just know about the gospel? So if we live in it, we learn from it, and then lastly, we have to respond, right? We have to actually, when I said love, through the gospel. We've identified ourselves. We're learning all of our wisdom, all of our knowledge is from the gospel. And then therefore we love through the gospel. If you look at verse 6 again, in the middle it says this, this gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it literally means the cosmos, the entire universe, all of creation. It says, in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and it's growing, as it also does among you. The gospel is growing and the gospel is producing fruit. And it's supposed to grow in us and it's supposed to produce fruit in us. He says it does that in you as it does in the entire universe, in the entire cosmos. That's happening everywhere. And when you look at this, it's this idea of a tree, this tree that's maturing. And as it gets to maturity, it produces fruit. And as it produces fruit, it continues to mature and it produces more fruit. That it's always growing. It didn't just start with a seed and this growth, but it continues to grow. And the fruit, as you read through this passage, as you read through this book, the fruit is love. The fruit is a love for God and a love for our neighbor. All right? All the fruit that comes from the gospel, really, you can put in those. Two. I love God and I love my neighbor, okay? It falls into those two categories. And again, those are relationships. One is vertical, one is horizontal. You can't love outside of relationships. You can't love unless there's another to love, okay? I challenged Karina this week. I said, can you love yourself? We can't love ourselves. All right? We can raise ourselves up. We can be private. We can put ourselves as supreme. But we can't love ourselves. It has to be someone else. It has to be you before me. We say, God, you before me. My neighbor, you before me. That's the only way that love can be shown is through a relationship. And as you look through this passage, the relationships between the vertical and the horizontal, they're never separated. If you look at verse 4, it says... We've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. There's the vertical relationship. It's talking about the church. And the love that you have for all the saints. The horizontal. The church had a faith in Jesus Christ and it had a love for all the saints. And as you look down and it describes Epaphras in verse 7, it says what? You were a faithful minister on behalf of Jesus Christ. Or you were a faithful minister of Jesus Christ on behalf of the saints. You see how they're connected. He was a faithful minister of Christ on behalf of the saints. The two, the vertical, the horizontal, 
we're connected. God loves us. And as we love Him, then we love others. It comes through that relationship we have with God. The restoration with God moves towards restoration with each other. But all of that is because of this hope laid up for us. All that is because of the gospel. That's what it says right there in the passage. Because of this hope laid up for you. Because of this completion. Because of this salvation that God is going to bring to completion. That's why we love. That's why we love God. That's why we love others. Because of that. Because of the gospel. We're completely oriented to it. And then he summarizes it all up in verse 8. And he says, your love in the Spirit. We've heard of your love in the Spirit. He's describing this vertical love, this horizontal love. All the things that he's heard about this church in Colossae. And he calls it this love in the Spirit. It's supernatural. It's because of these relationships that they have with God. The Spirit lives in them and they are able to love God and they are able to love each other and love their neighbors because of the Spirit within them, the Spirit-filled love. And so I want to ask you, what relationships in your life are bearing fruit? What relationships in your life, how are they maturing in the Gospel and how are they growing fruit in the Gospel? Think about your relationship with the Lord. Your time with Him and your, your relationship with Him. Is it growing? Is it maturing? Is it producing fruit? Think about your relationship in discipleship. Is it growing? Is it maturing? Is it producing this gospel fruit? Think about your relationship with each other in the church. Again, is it growing? Is it maturing? Is it producing fruit? Think about our relationships with our neighbors. Is it growing? Is it maturing? Is it producing this fruit? Is it producing love? more love for God, more love for those in the church, more love for our neighbors. Because if it's not, if we're not growing in this love, then we're not gospel-oriented. And we have to get gospel-oriented to grow in this love. And so lastly, just understand that this gospel is growing everywhere. I don't want us just to think about this, about us and about my life or even about our church or about our neighborhood. It literally says it's growing and it's maturing in the entire cosmos just as it has in you, just as it's growing in my heart, just as it's growing in our body, just as it's growing in this neighborhood. It's growing everywhere. It's maturing everywhere. The gospel is moving forward, moving forward to this time of completion. It doesn't just mean that people will be saved people will be saved these believers in Colossae were being saved they were bearing fruit but the salvation the complete salvation this reign and rule of Jesus Christ wasn't complete it wasn't finished it's still in process it's still growing and we have to believe that he is sufficient that the gospel is sufficient to restore all of these relationships. As we look back to Genesis, remember in Genesis 1 when those relationships were broken between God with each other and with the creation? God is going to restore completely and fully our relationship with Him, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the creation. All of those. That's the complete gospel. That's the hope that's waiting for us in heaven. That's what's laid up for us in heaven is this complete restoration when all things are made new. When there's a new heaven and a new earth and we sit before God that's what's laid up for us in heaven. And because of that, we continue. And because of that, we trust. Because the gospel is sufficient to achieve that, to complete that. So do we believe or do we proclaim a limited gospel? And I think we've watered down the gospel. 
I think we've watered down its prominence, we've watered down the magnitude, we've narrowed its influence and what it impacts. Most of the time we think of it just spiritually and mostly just for my life and mostly just so I can come to know the Lord, but not even so that I can grow in the Lord. But it's so much bigger than that, that the gospel would be supreme over everything, every situation. It would impact all parts of my life and all parts of the cosmos, all parts of everything. The gospel does that. We have to submit fully to Jesus Christ. He has to be supreme. He has the power to restore. He has the power to restore our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, and our relationships with the creation. And I just really don't think that we fully trust that. That we believe that He's sufficient to do that. I don't believe that I think that all the time. And the reason is because I become disoriented. I become disoriented by the world. I become disoriented by myself and my desires and my flesh. And God says, and Paul is telling the Colossians here, you've got to reorient yourself. You've got to be oriented around the gospel. Because the gospel is supreme and the gospel is sufficient in our lives, in our body, and in this neighborhood, and throughout the entire cosmos. So, Haiti, will you come back up? Instead of like this, blind, instead of spun around over and over and over again, instead of this swinging back and forth, it would look like this. If we were oriented to the gospel, she could see. She wouldn't be dizzy. The prize is focused. And I promise there's a prize laid up for here, laid up for us in here. All right? And this is what it would look like if we were gospel-oriented. We could accomplish the task and participate. <laughs> and... And... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I just didn't go quite the way I planned. All right, one more. So that's what All right. That's what it would look like. She swung what? 6, 7 times. She hit it every time, right? She wasn't disoriented. She wasn't spinning before when she was completely disoriented and not oriented, right? She was over here swinging in all these directions. She made no impact. She wasn't efficient. It didn't do anything. Right? It was just a danger to all of us around her. But when she was oriented, and if we're oriented on the gospel, and if we live in the gospel, and if we learn from the gospel, and we love through the gospel, we are going to be used by God. And we're going to realize this prize, this, 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 that waits for us, that's laid up for us, this treasure in heaven. Okay? So let's be gospel oriented. Alright, thank you. Alright, let me pray for us. Father God, Please, as we learn today, Lord, we cannot orient ourselves to your gospel, Father, but you, Lord, you have the power, you've given us your spirit to orient us to your gospel. God, help us to find our identity completely and fully in you. Lord, help us not to look anywhere else for wisdom and knowledge and understanding, Father, but that we would learn 
through your gospel, that we would learn from you. You are sufficient for everything that we need. Let us to not turn from you, Lord. Let us not add to you. Let us not subtract from you. That we would just remain in you, Lord, believing in you and you alone. Lord, and then use us to be to love through your gospel. Because of what you've done, because of the price you paid, because you went to the cross and paid the debt of our sins. Lord, we can stand before you and you have called us out and we are your sons and daughters and we can be forgiven and we can stand before you, a holy God, because of your grace. And we can know you and we can have a relationship with you. Lord, and I pray that through that restored relationship we would be able to just love you, that we'd be able to love our neighbors. Oh God, help us please to proclaim your gospel. Help us to demonstrate your gospel. Lord, help us to be your followers. In Jesus' name. Amen.